Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. I want us to turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30 through 39. And Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. They did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it third time. And the water ran about around the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God, the God. Amen. As we look at this passage in 1 Kings chapter 18 and its larger context in the word of God, I want to lift this thought today, the rumble at Mount Carmel. This is the fourth in a series of sermons on how to thrive. God has not just called us to survive. He has called us to thrive. And if we're not thriving and just surviving, then the truth of the matter is we're jiving. Because the word of God reminds us that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. The word of God reminds us that we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. A few years ago, with the advent of teenage gangs, the word rumble, which had formerly basically been associated with a continuous sound or roar, 
the word rumble became associated with a fight or a conflict. It became a very well-known and common word in our language. Anyone now, for the most part, know that rumble means to fight. As children of God, we are involved in a rumble. Today's message focuses on the reality and the possibility that we can thrive through periods of spiritual rumble or conflict. Time and time again, the Bible speaks about this rumble, about this fight. One of the classic passages is in our response of reading today, we don't war as the world do. Our weapons, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then that classic passage, there are so many in the word of God, but that classic passage in Ephesians 6 that says, we don't war against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, against rulers of darkness, against spiritual wickedness, in high places. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that Paul basically, while he was making a deathbed confession, a kind of last will and testament to his son in the ministry, he caricatured, he characterized his life this way. He says, I have fought, fought a good fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished my course and has laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord shall give to me, but not only to me, but all that love his appearing. At the brook, Elijah was retreating, but now in this text today, there's a different strategy. Elijah, who is a leader of God's gang, he's called Ahab, and his entourage, a false prophet who are being sustained on the state's payroll, he's calling them out. And he's basically putting them on notice that it's time to rumble. Did you not know that caramel means fruitful, productive, or garden? This mountain range from whose peaks you could see the blue waters of the Mediterranean, whose peaks somehow ascended to almost 1,800 feet above sea level, this mountain range was noted for its fruitful summits. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Micah all referred to the fruitfulness of Carmel in their prophetic pronouncements to the children of Israel. A very interesting passage in Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 2. The lover in the Song of Solomon says to his beloved as he woos her and tries to win her, he says, thine head upon thee is like caramel. Your luxurious hair is like the fruit trees on caramel. It is profound, the sight and scene for this rumble because this text, when you think about caramel meaning fruitful or fruit, this text reminds us that in the spiritual life, there's no fruit without a fight. Some folk want the fruit of the Christian life, but they don't want the fight of the Christian life. 
This is timely and relevant for those in the church who are skittish and squeamish. Because you can't live this Christian life without at some point being involved in a rumble. Let's examine this rumble at Mount Carmel for the permanent principles and the timeless teachings in the text. First of all, the people, when we look at this rumble at Mount Carmel, the people were mystified. The people were mystified. They were confused. They were conflicted. The Bible says that Elijah confronted them and asked them, how long? How long haunt you between two opinions? The word translated halt in our Bibles is a word in the Hebrew that means limp. And what he was asking them is, why are you limping and not leaping? Too many of God's children are limping and not leaping. He says, you should be leaping in praise and worship of God, but rather you have halted between two opinions. And then the New International Version goes on to say, in this text, that the people, when he admonished them, the people, when he rebuked them, it says the people said nothing. Mystified. Where is the resolve in the people? Where is uh, the winning attitude in the people? Where is the determination? The determination of a Moses who said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Where is the determination our carriage of a Joshua who said to the Israelites at another time, as for me and my house, these people halted between two opinions, but Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Where is the carriage and the tenacity of a David who when first confronting Goliath, the great giant of the Philistines, he asked his brethren, he says, is there not a cause in Israel. The people of God in this text are silent. The people that God has called and commissioned to be priests to the nations were silent. They answered him not. That's a different kind of silence. Not just when you don't say anything, but when what you do is so loud that people can't hear. When what you do is so loud that people can't hear what you say. They answered him not a word. So we have in this text the people were mystified, but we have a prophet that was magnetized. He was magnetized, first of all, because he had a compelling awareness of his calling. He knew who he was. He knew whose he was. His name alone was a profession of faith. Elijah means Yahweh is God. And what I find interesting at many points in this narrative of this great prophet is when he identifies himself, he acknowledges the reality and the centrality of Yahweh. He says in one place, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will show myself today. He saw his ministry as before the Lord. And he was serving a God who was alive. There was a vertical pull in Elijah's life that made him not only magnetic, but magnificent in his service of the Lord. If you're going to rumble, you got to know who you are.
There has to be something outside of us, something beyond ourselves that compel us. I declare I can't preach when I get ready to. But there's something, as the hymn writer said, there's something, there's something within. There's something within that holds the reins. Something within that answers the pain. Elijah says, my ministry is before the Lord. He was magnetized by this, but he was also magnetized by a compassionate affection for his community. And how is that expressed in the text? He was able to exercise tough love because he encounters Israel. He confronts them and he challenges them before God and with the courage of his convictions. We need friends like that. We need people who will confront us when we are not being fruitful, when we're not being productive and challenge us. You don't need folk around you that will tell you everything you want to hear. We need folk who are concerned about our spiritual life and our spiritual walk like a Paul who says, my heart's desire and prayer for God to Israel is that they might be saved. And he goes on to say, I would that I was a curse that Israel might be saved. Elijah was so concerned that his compassion magnetized him and he confronted the people and he wasn't just concerned about his own well-being. He was magnetized, this prophet. But also this text reminds us that the God, and you notice when we read verse 39, it says that the people at the end of this experience, they said the Lord, he is, it doesn't just say God, it says he is the God. The God was magnified. The God. Not a little God, but the God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who spoke to Moses on the backside of a desert. The God who sits high and looks low. The God who arrested Isaiah in a temple from whom the cherubim sang, holy, holy, holy. The God that Isaiah wrote about when he says, they that wait on him shall renew their strength. God was magnified. The prophet was magnetized. The people were mystified. God was magnified. The prophet was magnetized. The people were mystified. But how was God magnified? He was first of all magnified in the text by the failure of his adversaries. You see, Elijah called the prophets of Baal out. He had met Ahab, who was traveling through the land looking for grass and food for his flocks. And he called Elijah the troubler of Israel. And Elijah said, I'm not the one who troubles Israel, but you're the one that troubles Israel. And so Elijah said, this is what I want you to do. All those prophets that own the state payroll, I want you to bring them to Mount Carmel. The 400 prophets of Baal and the 450 prophets of Asherah. He said, now I want you to bring them to Mount Carmel. And he said, when we get there, we'll kill two bullocks. I'll let your prophets do what they do. And y'all know the story. We read it in the text. 
how when the prophets of Baal and Asherah began to make pleas to their God, they started early in the morning. They went on, it would appear, almost six hours. Their God did not ask. And the Bible says that there was a point in the experience as Elijah witnessed their failure that he began to mock them. He said, now your God must be asleep. Your God must be in vacation. Your God must not be able to hear what you say. You see, God is exalted when our enemies fail. In this text, they started calling on their gods, and their gods did not answer. I'm telling you, there's only one God that will answer your prayers. And if you talk to anybody else, you are hallucinating this morning. If there's only one God that will answer your prayers, they got so upset, they start cutting themselves and jumping up and down on the altar they built. But there was silence in heaven. And that makes perfect sense because Jesus said, if you don't ignore Acknowledge me uh, on this earth uh, uh, when I stand before my Father. I will not acknowledge you. Uh, God was magnified uh, by the failure of his adversaries, uh, but he was also magnified uh, by the faith uh, of his ambassador. When they got through doing uh, uh, what they did, uh, you see what Elijah did? Uh, he said, now nah, I'm not going to offer on this polluted altar. I'm going to tear it down and build it up again. Some of us, the reason we can't rumble is we offering stuff on a polluted altar. When there's an area of our lives we've not offered to God. When there's something we holding on to and hadn't given up to God, God won't answer. We got to leave here today and examine our lives and whatever part of your altar is messed up today. Uh, and you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm talking about the altar of your heart. Uh, and you can't fix it yourself. Uh, but turn it over. Turn it over to the Lord uh, and he'll work it out. Uh, tell him I can't handle this uh, uh, by myself. Uh, God, you tear it down uh, and build it up again uh, and then offer him worship uh, in spirit and in truth. The prophet magnified God when he rebuilt the altar. And we know from the text, it wasn't just for him, but it was for the children of Israel because he didn't use one stone. He didn't use two or three. He used 12 stones, and that was symbolic of the children of Israel. And he was so confident that he was willing to give his adversaries a home court advantage. Uh, he said, you offer first uh, and I'll offer last. Uh, when you know God uh, is able to fight your battles, are you not worried uh, about somebody uh, having the advantage uh, because you know yourself? Uh, he may not come when you want him, uh, but he's always 
always on time. I do have a witness, always on time. My God is able, and great is he that is in me than the one that's in the world. And he also magnified God because he didn't want anybody to think that that day the fire was started by some freak accident or some fluke of concern. And so after he built the altar, after he put the wood on the altar, after he laid the ram on the altar, he said, bring some water and throw it on the altar. He did it once for the Father, once for the Son, and once for the Holy Ghost. Water was running everywhere. It did not make sense on a natural level that a fire could start in the midst of so much water. But guess what he did? He fell down on his knees and called on God. And God answered him. Uh, Yes, he did. Uh, He answered him by fire. And that's the way God is. Uh, He'll answer our prayers. Uh, If we build up our altar, if we call on God, uh, if we say not my will, uh, but your will be done. If we honor God, uh, so he'll get the credit. Uh, He will bless us. Uh, Do we have a witness? Do we have a witness? God answered. uh, He answered by fire. Is there anybody here today uh, that the Lord has answered your prayer? Is there anybody here today uh, the Lord has answered your prayer? I don't know about you, uh, but I'm ready to rumble. Uh, I'm ready. I'm ready to rumble uh, because when my mind, uh, when my mind, uh, when my mind uh, uh, went back down uh, uh, memory lane, uh, I want you to know uh, the greatest fight uh, did not take place in Philippines. Uh, The greatest fight uh, uh, did not take place uh, in Zaire, Africa, but there was a great rumble. Uh, Yes, it was. I started thinking about it this morning. Uh, I know Muhammad Ali uh, called what happened uh, in Zaire. Yes, he did. Uh, The rumble in the jungle. But when I think about uh, what happened at Calvary, there was the fountain uh, on the mountain. Uh, There was the rock uh, on the rock uh, at Calvary. Uh, To have a witness, uh, there was the king uh, in the ring uh, at Calvary. There was a knockout in the blackout at Calvary. There was the chill on the hill at Calvary. There was the master and the disaster at Calvary. Anybody know what happened? I'm ready. I'm ready to rumble. Because he died, I can live. Because he died, I can live. He rumbled on Calvary. He died for my sin. A light took over darkness. Goodness took over meanness. I do have a witness. Stretched him wide. Dropped him low. Hung him high. But he rumbled on. He rumbled so long that the sun refused to shine. And he rumbled till the moon ran up with high blood pressure. He rumbled till he paid for my sin. And when he got through dying, he said, Father, 
forgive them for they know not what they do they took him down put him in a borrowed tomb stayed there Friday stayed there Saturday but early Sunday morning but early Sunday morning he got up and because he got up I can rumble because he got up I can fight because he got up I can hold on because he got up everything gonna be all right he won a decisive victory yes he did wasn't a TKO it was a knockout on Calvary and because he lived because he lived because he lived I can face tomorrow You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.